Good morning, Kim. I was just starting to say that. Uh, good morning, Dave. Good morning, Kim. That I love the energy that you're bringing, Kim. Thank you. Good morning. How are you guys? We are great. And somehow we're not sure how this happened, but we are apparently Jersey strong this morning. Three of us in the Northeast. So <laughs> I love it. I don't know, Mike. I'm still I'm still cleaning my New York roots, bro. I just live here. You are, you're not still you're not still in, you're not still in Portugal mentally are you Kim we just got back from web summit in Lisbon which was really incredible and Dave might still mentally be there a little bit it was so so great oh my god that was awesome I can't I had to hear about that uh, uh you guys had to tell me about that another time that was so I'm sure it was awesome though yeah. oh I can only imagine really spectacular and we will definitely tell you about it but for right now we want to talk about you and you being the chief transformational officer for the Reed Development Group and an author, want to talk about the book. Okay. So my, my first question to you is, what is a transformational officer? Very important these days, right? So critical to, to what we need in each other. So if you could tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about the book, that would be fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So chief transformational officer at Reed Development Group does everything. <laughs> but what what we focus on um, is we work with we have the we have the blessing to work with some of the most influential companies in the world um, to transform their diversity, equity, equality, inclusion and belonging strategies to ensure that they are not only attracting a diverse workforce, but they're also retaining. They're also deploying developing and ensuring that there is a trajectory to the ENC suites of these organizations. So we, that's what we help them. That's what we help advise and also help execute um, them working with uh, exec, uh, their senior executive team, working with their very important diversity councils. Um, we've been doing this for some time. Redevelopment Group just turned 14 um, on October 20th. So yeah, man of entrepreneurship, best job I ever loved, I tell you. But the Incredible. hardest job I ever loved, I, that's, that's for sure. Um, but so that's what we, so that's what we do. I call my, I call myself, that's my formal title, but really what I am, Mike, I am a, I am a DEI strategist that is uh, a champion for people, all people. Kim, I love it. And there's so many professional things that we could talk about and I'm, I'm itching at the bit to, to get into some of those topics, but I want to take a moment. Uh, you had a really, really tough journey with breast cancer and you beat it and you're here with us and, and that's amazing. And I wanted to, to give you, you know, gratitude that you're here and, and highlight that because it's something that affects all of us, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously, Mike and myself haven't had breast cancer, but we've all known someone that has had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So I would love if you can share just some words with folks that may be going through it in terms of advice or lessons you learned throughout that process or experience that took you to where you are now. Because I know that, you know, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And I'm sure having that experience really changed your outlook on things. So I would love if you could shed some light on that. Well, you know, it's funny that you, you know... <laughs> It's funny you just said change my outlook on things because one thing, one of many things that that journey did for me, I'll tell you about that quickly in a moment, is I don't major in the minors anymore mm -hmm. in life, right? Love that. Because when you go through some stuff, 
right? And I say some stuff, I'm not trivializing cancer at all or losing my mother months before and my grandmother months before. I will mm -hmm. not trivialize that. What I am saying is when you get on the other side, life looks different. See, everything we go through in life gets used, all of it, right? So from when I walked with my mother for during my dad and I, during her cancer journey, my mother had, and she passed away of leukemia, right? A few months before I was diagnosed with breast cancer on October 28th, 2012. Um, routine mammogram. So ladies, you got to get your, get your yearly mammograms. And first PSA. That's right. First PSA. Second is my journey wasn't tough. And this is going to sound like, this is going to not sound right. My journey of cancer was not tough because I had cancer. My journey was tough because I was still, I was still numb from the loss of my mother. So when people ask me, was cancer bad? It wasn't. What's what was worse is losing my mother because I'm here now, nine years later. What I will tell people as they're walking through, through their cancer journeys is to listen to your doctors, right? Mm -hmm. Is to understand, because I was just having a, I was just having this conversation with a young lady who just was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I told her, live your life. Don't stop living because mm -hmm. you have cancer. For me, I wasn't going to walk mm -hmm. sick, look sick, be sick, talk sick, think sick, right? And so, yep. and, and, and that's not easy for some people. I, I, trust me, I, 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 am not, I am not oblivious to that fact. But what I am saying is mindset and optimism will help you through that journey because you will look at your you will look at your challenges that you go through chemotherapy surgeries that you may have different and that's and that's for me nine years later that i i do not have cancer not anymore nine years well, later you know congratulations 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 i couldn't agree with you more about how much mindset has to do with it. And I, quite frankly, really looking forward to reading your book. Um, I think there's so much of a psychosomatic effect, right? Physiologically, how people's bodies react to our mind. I think, yeah. was it Hippocrates who said all illness starts and ends in the mind? That's right. And, <clears throat> right, and the effects that it has on us. So your book reminds me of one of my favorite books, Kim, um, prior to yours, because I want yours to become my new favorite, because so much of what you're saying is resonating on this level, was a book called Letting Go by David R. Hawkins. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He talked about the energetic frequency of emotion. And, and so right. I look at the title of yours. Um, Optimists always win moving from defeat to life's C-suite. Incredible. And that's what I think in so many ways, it reminded me of what he talked about, changing our frequency, changing our mindset and thereby changing our lives. So if you could, I know that there are 10 tools in there. We don't have to go through all of them, but right. what are some of the, the key takeaways to help us implement and use these tools? Sure, sure. Thank you. So optimism is, is really is closely linked to our resilience. Optimism, you know, and, it, and I love what you said about that, Mike, because it, and, and I love the book um, that I also very familiar with that you talk about. And, in the, and that was one of the reasons why I wrote the book. 
is because optimism can definitely be a learned trait when we go through life's challenges, right? And when and when we're we're winning, no question about it. But one of the chapters that I love the most is called The Power of Your Rearview. And also, I just want to say that all of the proceeds of the book go to two cancer charities. So every time you buy a book, we're going to bless people. Okay. And so I, I just wanted to make sure I said that. And it is on Amazon. And one of the chapters, you're right, there's 10 discouragement eliminators. But let's, let's talk about one quickly. And that is the power of your rear view. And I will tell you why that is so important to me. Because when, my, when I was diagnosed with cancer, after my mammogram, they said, Ms. Reed, you have, uh, you have breast cancer. I immediately thought about my mother. And I immediately had gratitude, believe it or not. And gratitude is a game changer. We'll talk about another. No, I have to come back. We got to talk about gratitude, right? But it, it was for me, I had to look at my rear view and I looked and remembered the examples that my mother showed me as she was walking through her cancer journey. So I knew I had already done research about foods, right? I had already mm -hmm. done research about what types of chemotherapy, what should, what questions should I be asking, right? My oncologist, right? And a host of whole other examples. So in life, right? I always ask people, if 2020 was not your worst year in your life, what was? And a lot of times people may say 1968, you know, 1979, right? You know, 1982, right? And it's, so when you look at those, when you look at really what was that year, what were the tools and mechanisms or what were the, who were the people that you talked to? What were the books that you read, right? To get you through, because you obviously survived, right? So the power of your rear view is so important. Your energy is so sacred, right? And so you have to really understand the, your power. You can't under, underestimate it because there were so many times, rather begrudgingly, <laughs> rather probably not in the prettiest way, right? That you got through it, but you got through it. So the power of your rear view in any circumstance that you're going through, look back, mm. look at what you've done because you've got the power. No question about it. Man, Kim, you just bring so much energy, and I know you're inspiring so many. Uh, please, please get her book. I, I want to, because you're doing so much, and I wanted, I wanted to dig more into the book, but I, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Kaleidoscope Discovery uh, Diversity, excuse me, because it's a new, a new brand, new partnership that you've launched. Yeah. Uh, it's the only omnibus approach to organizational diversity based on performance metrics and supply diversity. And uh, as someone that's very committed to DE&I space, I would love to hear what approaches you use to help uh, improve upon something that is so very vital to success factors for all sizes of companies worldwide. And, you know, I, I think one of the biggest issues that I've seen consistently is not just with diversity in terms of a point of entry, but at this point, it's more a barrier to retention and elevation. Sure. Uh, so I would love to hear what sort of insights you have on the, on those two topics and, and generally what Kaleidoscope Diversity, uh, what's your mission? Sure. Kaleidoscope Diversity, 
It, we just launched it in January 2021. So it's new, like it's a baby. And we have our first diversity event. All of the information is on LinkedIn. Oh my gosh. It on, on, on November the 10th. We've got we've got DEI leaders from BP, Amazon, you name it. And we're going to have a discussion, not your typical discussion about DEI, because I'm tired of having that. What I want to have is how do we improve the culture for people? How do we improve, right? Not only the culture, but how do we improve people, right? Because you cannot move the diversity needle without looking at you, without looking at human capital, right? And so, right. what I would say to that question, David, is this: the 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 merger, um, the the idea came from you know I am in partnership with one of the largest minority-owned um, CPA firms in the country, who is a professional service firm in reality, and they they specialize in supply chain and data and all that good stuff, and I specialize, of course, in DEI. Now, one of the things that companies we never do, companies never do, right, is they don't look inside. They don't look within. And I know that sounds probably so simple, like, duh, Kim, why do they? They don't. They don't because they're trying to rush to a finish line that doesn't exist with all of the other competitors in the world, right? So what we ask, what, what, what Kaleidoscope Diversity really forces organizations to do is to assess their elements of innovation. So- how does a business make money, right? Through one, through innovation, right? Innovative products, innovative thing, innovative you know, um, business initiatives of, or how they do business. I'm talking fast about it because, you know, we can talk about this for, for, for hours. But what I will say is companies first have to assess and look within for where their developmental areas first. And they, everyone... Yes, you want to talk about your wins, you want to have successes, but you cannot improve by ignoring your deficiencies. And so that's what the Kaleidoscope Diversity, we, we, we look at data, we look at culture, we look at elements of the organization that funnel revenue, that fund that so we can understand where the place where to start working through diversity so it can mm -hmm. ultimately be in the DNA of their business. DNA. Congratulations. Yeah. I love it. Go yeah. Ahead, Sorry. So we got some, we, we're doing some, we're, you know, we've got some really great things going on. Um, I'm so happy um, that you, I have an opportunity to talk about the book with you guys. And, you know, one, and, Likewise. I, and I, I'm so excited. And I will say this to all of your listeners and to you guys. Trust that the best is unfolding for you daily. God, trust that. We're going Thank into you. a new year. Trust that the best is unfolding for you every day. We are going into a new year. I know we're still in our glo this global pandemic, politics in our world. Everything is not, we will never know what it was before pandemic ever again. We are in a- Absolutely agree with you, Kim. And that's gonna be the main takeaway. That is so powerful. And we have to have you back on to talk to you more about this. We want all of our listeners to go learn more about you at the Reed Development Group, R-E-E-D, the yes. reeddevelopmentgroup.com. Again, check out Kim's book, Optimists Always Win, Moving from Defeat to Life's C-Suite. And again, she's donating 100% of the royalties um, to cancer-based charities. So thank you for that, Kim. Thank you for coming on this morning. We can't wait to speak to you again. And I can't wait to read the book. Thank you guys so much. Thank David for me. And I mm -hmm. just love hanging out with you guys. So I hope to come Likewise. back very soon. Bye, guys. See you soon, Kim. Bye -bye. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Mike. Thank you. <laughs>
before before we bring our next guest in here, there's a reason why I'm dressed like this. I don't know what he's wearing, but Andre Fluellen, it's flu season, is one of the best dressed guys I know. So I, I decided not even to try today. And look, uh, on brand as always, with uh, Sheen on on fleek, looking great. Uh, flu, what's going on, brother? It's so great man, to have you on. What's with going us. on, man? I have a I have a it's statement, man. When somebody tells you you look good, smile and look better, baby. I'm all about looking good, oh, feeling great. good, and smelling good every day, baby. <laughs> I mean, a lot of folks don't realize in the diaspora when, when it sounds like we're hating. That's my way of showing love. Right. There you uh, go. Exactly. <laughs> so look, Flu, you, you've got so much going on. You're an inspiration to many. For folks that don't know you, um, former NFL player, but so much more. It's probably the smallest imprint you've had on this on this earth uh, was through your football career. But you really leveraged that um, to go out to speak, to educate. You know, you got your Series 7, your Series 66. Um, you're working with with uh, retired pros. You're, you're, you're teaching financial literacy. Uh, you're mentoring youth. Uh, there's so much you got going on, uh, but I really want to dig in and and just in line in line with what we were just talking about with Kim and De and I. Uh, you've got some interesting theories on on racial topics, and would love to talk about that and and figure out how that conversation can help us move the needle forward when it ter- in terms of diversity. Yeah, man. Uh, so, guys, appreciate you letting me on here. And uh, this is something I'm really passionate about talking about. Um, because one of the things, so I, I, t- I got a cool story about how I learned race from my kids. All right. So <laughs> one of the racial issues that, that I've seen, I was watching uh, My Little Pony with my kids. I got a four and six year old girl. All right. And this maybe was last year or two years ago. So we're watching My Little Pony. And uh, so I, actually, I like My Little Ponies. So the the pony that is like the hero, her name is Princess Celestia, right? And the pony is beautiful white pony. But then there's another pony that's kind of the evil antagonist, and her name is Nightmare Moon. And this pony <laughs> is dark and black and gloomy. And so I'll never forget this. One of my kids asked me this. She said, Daddy, why does my grandma call me black? And I said, what are you talking about? She said, daddy, but my skin is brown. And she said, why does my grandma call me black? And so maybe this, that was like a couple of weeks later after I watched. So I put those two things together. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I said, okay. So my daughter sees in all these movies and all these cartoons that the evil person is always the black one who wears dark. But then she says she's brown. But then she asked, why are people call her black? And then I started saying, do we have this kind of negative mindset towards the color black? And my kids are getting confused because they say that they're brown and not black. So that's when I started. I started getting this process. OK. And then I started saying, like, hold on. Well, what color do I wear to a funeral? And I says, well, hold on. What's that? What's that day of the year that everybody goes crazy and starts shopping and getting to get into fights? Right. And then I started saying, like, what's the worst stock market day in history? Then I started saying, like, what was that plague in the you know, mid centuries that uh, that took out almost half the Earth's population? And I started saying, like, hold on, there's so many negative mindsets towards that color. And yet my kids are starting to accept that color as their own, even though they're not that color. But then here's mm-hmm. the other messed up part I saw. I saw. Hold on. Like, what color? the angels wear like what color did jesus wear what color is salvation washes your soul this color then i started saying hold on there's a and what color was princess celestia and i said okay so maybe there's this 
this kind of confusion that's going on in these kids' minds that they're linking negativity with what they call themselves, but they're linking positively to what positivity to what they call other people. And that's when I started looking at in terms of diversity and racism and racial issues. I started looking at the mind first before I started looking at what's going on. Right. And so that was kind of the start of all. I know that might sound weird, but nobody's I never really heard it like that. And I wonder if we've been growing up with these negative and positive identities based upon colors instead of just looking at it as what people really are. So Mike, that's let me that. just say, say one yeah, thing yeah, on yeah, that, yeah. Um, because I was actually just ironically reading about this um, last week. So there have been studies that have gone on for the better part of seven decades. I think the first one was in 1947. There was a, a doll test um, and they would show on a piece of paper dolls. And Mike knows this, all shades from, you know, lily white all the way down to, to nightmare black, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And then they would ask children, all types of children, white, black, and Venice cities in Asia and in, in the United States and in Europe, uh, show me the dumb child, show me the smart child, show me the happy child, show me the mean child, right? And almost all the time, the answers would skew on uh, in favor of, of the lighter skinned ch children. And I think a lot of that is racial undertones, you know, propagated through the media. Uh, and it's, it's done intentionally because just like with, with slavery, and we have to go so deep on this Friday morning, is you want to keep folks down, right? You want to keep them dumb. You want to kill their self-esteem because a confident person an educated person is a strong person, is a dangerous person to an, to an oppressor. So I think what you're thinking about in terms of mindset is 100% on point. Um, and I'll let Mike ask a follow-up question on that. And I'd love to dive into this a little bit more. Yeah, Flu, good morning. I, what you said, just so powerful and so on point. I've thought about that in the past, you know, in terms of like sports and entertainment, if you do something wrong, you get blacklisted, right? You're not <laughs> going to be able to play anymore, that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking about that younger, like, why, why, just like you did, why are there certain connotations with regard to color, to what's good and bad and, and, and right and wrong in the world? So I think that what you're saying, obviously, incredibly important. And I, my question would be, what do we do to help spread the word? What's the solution? Because it, it does exist. Is it communication like this? Is it getting the word out there and letting people know? And is there anything else that we can do to help educate people about this just to make them think about it? Like, wait a minute, he's got a point there. How do we change this? Yeah, so I think, you know, there's two ways to change it. All right, so there's an easy way and there's a hard way to me. Um, so the hard way is to hopefully get everybody to change their mindset about what the color black means to them. All right, like, you know, of course we could say black is beautiful. Yeah, you know, or we could say, but like, there's a lot of we just been raised and programmed with so many negatives towards that color. So that's the first. The hard way is to get everybody to change, you know, what they think about the color hard or the other way, which I think is the easy way. Like, let's just start rethinking why we call ourselves these colors. Like, like, seriously, like, why would yeah. I call Mike? Why would I call you a white dude when you clearly are not the same color as a cloud? Right. And, like, <laughs> you know, and, and so and, and why would I call myself a black person when I'm clearly not the same color as my shirt or my beautiful beard? Right. So, right. like, I think these things, these are these conversations that we need to be having internally, like as a family, a lot of times. And also we can't like just condemn the people who are thinking differently. You know, how, do you know how much condemnation I get for even having these conversations sometimes? Like, I don't even let my kids, I, I, and th look, I have no problem with this, but I don't let my kids call themselves black. I don't let my kids call other people white because 
like, look, if there's a black dog, they don't call it a brown dog. They call it a black dog, right? If there's a peach dog, they don't call it a white dog. They call it a peach colored dog. Like they call it what it is. So I try to take the eye, the mindset of a child and say, let's just call it what it is. Right. Mm. And so then what you have done is you program yourself. So when society starts calling you these things, like when society starts saying, well, if you're, you're black, you're automatically underprivileged. Society starts saying, well, you're black, you're already disadvantaged. Well, you say, well, I'm, thank God I'm not that. Right. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, who really got me thinking about this was Dave. So this mm-hmm. is what Dave Meltzer said. I was on one of the um, one of the panels with him. And he said, you know, after his bankruptcy and all this kind of stuff, he said, you know what? I was supposed to come back because I was a 50 year old white dude. And these things are supposed to happen to me. OK. And so what he said was basically and we've talked about this, but basically he said, you know what, man, I've got white privilege. You know, these things are supposed to work easier for me, blah, blah, blah. And I started thinking about that, like, hey, that's the mindset that I want. See, I want things to work easier for me. Yeah. And so I started saying, like, hey, I got flu privilege. <laughs> All right. Like, because I'm <laughs> flu, like, and these things are supposed to happen to me because I'm flu, things are supposed to be easier for me. And that's the mindset that I want everybody to have. Because you're you, things are easier. Because you're you, things are better. Not because I'm black, because you know, things are gonna be harder, or because you know you're white, things are gonna be easier. So that's kind of the conversations that we have to start having. That's incredible. Yeah, Dave, can I just jump back in with a yeah, quick yeah. one? Yeah, do your thing, bro. What with, with what you said now, parlaying that into more colors with the color green, which we can talk about, right? Um, money, right? Bringing educational, financial literacy two people who otherwise don't have it. I'd love to know what your thoughts are on that and how we can talk about it because it's so important, so undertaught or not taught in schools. What's What are you teaching people about the importance of money and, and the green and, and being able to thrive through being successful with financial literacy? Yeah, so the first thing I talk about is financial psychology. That's the number one. So we have to we have to understand what money is. So there's laws according to money. First of all, we need to know a thing about money. Money is a woman. All right. So you got to know the psychology. Money is a woman and money just isn't a regular woman. Money is a high class lady. Wait, can right? we stop so, for a second? So, so into my joke here. That sounds like the opening line to an R&B album. Money is a high class lady. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, well, you know, I got to miss you. Know, I right? look the part right now. You do, yes. man. You're taking me there. Legit. Right. So, yeah. So money is a woman. Money is a high class woman. And so one thing about a high class woman is you can't talk. You can't talk to a high class woman any type of way. If you say naughty things about her or if you think not right about her or if you don't make plans for her, she will turn her nose up and ease on down the road. That's and so money does the same thing. So I'll talk about financial psychology. The first thing we got to know what money is. Money is the gathering power of idea, thought and creation. Remember that money is the gathering power of idea thought and creation look you got an idea you put a lot of thought into it you create something you'll get money okay Mm -hmm. so there's laws according to money so the laws of money are creation and sales equals money very very simple right you create something you sell it you'll get money right you create something big you sell it big guess what you get big money create something small sell it small you get small money Right. It's really that simple. So create money, the gathering power, the gathering energy of idea, thought and creation. Right. And the laws according to money are creation plus sales equals money. That's what I teach, because I got to teach the foundational mindset behind money before I can teach people about money. Right. About how it works and about how to invest, because if you're not thinking right about it, guess what? You won't have it right. And guess what she'll do? She will turn her nose up and ease on down the road because you're not thinking correctly about money. 
I, I love the way you approach everything as a mindset, and it really goes down to to core base and value based leadership, right? So you you establish what what's at your core, what your values are, and then all of your actions kind of funnel down towards those core values, and it helps you make better decisions. And I'd be remiss if I didn't have an opportunity to ask you this because if you see this hat right here, and Matt, our producer, is wearing the same hat today. We got this hat at the NFL draft in Cleveland, twenty twenty one. Right. Uh, a, a life changing moment for a lot of young men and, and women and families. And, you know, the unfortunate situation that happened with Henry Ruggs this week and the, the family of the deceased and, and his family. Uh, I really, you know, would be remiss if I didn't ask you, Flew, as a former pro, uh, what are in terms of mindset coaching the things that you would love to instill? Because I know you work with a lot of athletes as they're starting to retire and grow. But the young guys, 20, 21, 22, uh, what are some of the core things that they should be thinking about mindset-wise so they make better decisions? Because they are just kids. And I don't want to demonize him any further. That's not what I'm here to do. But I want to use this opportunity to create a learning opportunity for, for other kids. Yeah, so there's a, uh, there's a universal law. Like I talked about laws of money earlier, but there's actually a universal law. And it's, to me, it's the law of thought. As you think, so shall you be. I like this quote by Flu. All right. Flu says, as you think, so shall you be. It's not with these eyes that you do see. But when you look internally, there you'll find eternity. All right. Wow. So what I, I say that because a lot of times, man, we're trying to get these kids to do things differently instead of think differently. Okay. And so if they think differently, like, like I'll say, I'll say this. If I have a dollar mindset and somebody gives me a million dollars, I promise you, I will turn that million dollars into one dollar. But if I have a million dollar mindset and somebody gives me a dollar, guess what? I will turn that dollar into a million dollars. So what happens is with these, you know, with these young, you know, athletes, like I would really try to reprogram their minds to success. And it's so easy. This is the thing. It's so easy to program somebody's mind. You program your minds just based upon the things that you hear consistently. That's it. If you hear successful things, man, you'll be a successful person. If you hear things about how to handle your finances, guess what? You'll do it. Like, so what I would do is I would get them to hear on a consistent basis of things about positivity, things about how to handle money, things about how to be successful all the time. I would literally put it into repetition because, you know, repetition is the master of life. So that was, was that would be my thing. Come look, have flu come to every, uh, you know, every NFL camp every single year, you know, once a month and then come talk to them. And I really we're, we're going to make that happen. Let's, let's not talk about let's it because it. your mindset is tremendous. We're going to do a lot of great things together. Flu, it is always a pleasure to have you here um where tell us everybody everybody where they can find you and i know we're gonna be doing a lot together moving forward uh but tell everybody where they can find you and, and how they can reach out yeah man you can uh, always find me on my uh, instagram flu.com flu underscore dot underscore com uh you can hit me up on my website andreflu.com you can hit me on my business site the btg network.com or you can just reach out to you guys and you guys afford stuff to me you know how it goes man. absolutely Thank you, Flu. Always a pleasure. Got to have you back on. Bring you back on with Dave. Talk about this more. Absolutely. Peace. Powerful morning, man. Two of my favorite people to start this morning, by the way. We got in midnight last night, and I was like like dragging, and then we get Kim and Flu to start. It's amazing. (sighs) Off to the races. All right, here we go. Simon, I think, is in the waiting room. Matt, if we could bring Simon. Hi, Simon. We think we have muted. Hey, guys. Muted. Hey, hey, Dave. Hey, Mike. How are you? Simon, how are you? Fantastic. Really good. Good morning. Really good. Morning, morning. 
Simon, uh, good morning, Simon Mainwaring. Uh, wanted to talk to you about your book. I believe, sure. is it out yet or it's coming out this month? Lead it, with me. Wanted to know what that's about and where we can all buy it. It's, uh, yeah, Lead with We. It's all about the distinction. Oh, lead with in, We, yeah. Yeah, no problem. It's, it's actually, you know, that's really interesting. That is the point of the book in the sense that if we want to drive growth, if we want to actually inspire everyone in our business, the people who are our suppliers, our employers, customers out there in the world, we've got to mobilize them all around a purpose that gets everybody excited. You've seen probably in business more and more companies, athletes, you know, teams, all these different sort of brands out there now talking about the role they're playing in the world. And it's happening for a simple reason. I think every day people look at the press and they go, wow, the future is looking a bit challenged now. We're seeing climate, we're seeing all these issues in the headlines every day. How is your brand showing up? What difference are you making? And so my company has been working with purposeful brands, including sports brands and more, for the last 10 years and have codified that all into a blueprint they can follow. And it's all called, it's lead with we, which means you've got to choose to lead. You've got to do it with as many stakeholders as possible. And you've got to have the greatest possible impact in terms of the we. And then all of those partners will build your business with you. Well, Simon, thank you so much for, for joining us. You are based in Australia, right? No, actually, I'm here in L.A. I've been in L.A. for 21 years, but I sound this way because I was born and bred in Australia. And I've still got the Aussie accent, which is an achievement after 20 plus years out here. You yes, know? it Aussie, is. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Yeah, hey, there you hey, go. Hey, oi, 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 right? Oi, oi, oi. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so obviously, we just went through uh, our generation's uh, just great challenge. And we're still going through it with, with, with the pandemic. And we've seen different brands and different companies respond to things in different ways. And... One of the things that I've noticed is most successful companies have been able to be flexible and have been able right. to pivot and have been creative. Uh, everything from seeing, you know, gene companies pivot into making masks. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have some of these folks here. So would love to hear uh, the involvement of, of your company throughout, you know, what companies, you know, advise them throughout the pandemic and some of the things that you saw and, and, and what advice or strategies did you guys implement during the pandemic? Thanks. Yeah. It's a great question. Prior to the pandemic, a lot prior to the Sorry, pandemic, we, we keep score. <laughs> oh, there you go. You keep score. Yeah. I was about great question. I, that's why should I raise my voice? No, uh, one zero, Mike, <laughs> just letting you know, one zero. No, uh, what I would say is before the pandemic, you already saw companies showing up with their purpose more intentionally. They were like, Hey, this is the role we're going to play in the world. They would fix their supply chain. They'd start to treat their people better and so on. But you know, the coronavirus put everybody on notice. Why? Because their employees, our communities, our health, our livelihoods were threatened in a way we've never seen before. And it was pretty powerful to see, as you see, companies retool their entire supply chains, you know, Starbucks offering catastrophe pay and free therapy for employees who are sort of, you know, upset over what was going on. And basically, a lot of the different things that companies were doing to show that they're more responsible to the environment, to their employees, to their customers, increased and accelerated. So, you know, over the last 10 years, we've worked with Tom's and Timberland and SAP and Sony Pictures and so many other companies out there. And what we're seeing is they've recognized one fact. Out there in the future, all these issues that we're worried about right now, whether it's climate, whether it's plastic in the oceans, whether it's, you know, social inequities, they're coming back towards us from the future. And these timelines are contracting towards us. And you're seeing this hockey stick of expectation on CEOs, on companies for the products they make, on how they treat their employees, as to whether they have true diversity and inclusion in their boards. And so, you know, we're in a new moment in time, especially after the pandemic, where 
how you show up as a company will determine your social license to operate, whether people are going to buy your product, whether they're going to want to work for you, whether they're going to invest in your company. So success, wealth, um, you know, momentum of your brand, you've got to get out ahead of it and let those market forces drive you forward as, at the same time as these issues become more acute. And the further you're on the right side of history, the more they'll push you forward. And a lot of companies are going to slide off the back because they're not responding to the reality of people find in their daily lives. Can I just ask one follow-up on that, Mike, of really course. quick? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So uh, purpose-driven brands, and we've all seen – you know, the pride flags uh, during pride month from companies. We've seen the Black Lives Matter or just the black blackout from, from really, really big companies. Um, but then we don't see much else consistent yeah. with that. So what are your thoughts on that? And, 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 and how do we change that? So if companies are just not using it as an opportunity to gather the business of the LGBT community or of the Black Lives Matter community or whatever, you know, the green community uh, and actually be about the change and the causes that, you know, they claim uh, and not saying every company's like that, because some of them stand with like Ben and Jerry, I know has done a lot consistent with what they put out there, but there've been so many other companies you look on Instagram at any given moment when there's something going on and every company has as their main picture or hashtag, you know, the, the, the punchline of the week. Exactly. I couldn't agree more, David. It's like, you know, it's called purpose washing, woke washing, cause washing, green washing. That you see get exposed readily, because, especially when it's obvious. For example, you know, there was the scandal around Wells Fargo or the VW emission scandal. These things get called out. Worse, you know, in a sliding scale, there's those companies that just pay lip service to it. They'll throw up the pride flag, as you say, but do nothing about it. And, you know, the Wall Street Journal a lot long ago said there was $50 billion of corporate commitments to you know, racial you know, diversity and inclusion after Black Lives Matter, and most of it didn't actually translate to real action. So, you know, the whole purpose of my book, Lead With We, is to help entrepreneurs, startups, founders, and CEOs of large and complex organizations navigate arguably this minefield now where you've got to show up, the issues are present and real in your life, but how do you do it in a way where people feel like you're authentic and they want to invest in you, they want to buy from you, you know, they want to promote your brand to others. And so you've got to walk your talk. You're going to be held accountable by three people, the consumer, your employees, or even the investor class who've woken up now and said, hey, you know, are you set up to succeed in the future in terms of the environment? Are you defensible in public in terms of your reputation? You know, is your supply chain something that can withstand things like, you know, the coronavirus and the big supply chain that, you know, issues that are going on right now? So this is a new day. We're not getting back to business as normal. And after doing this work for 10 years with companies that really have kind of worked out how to get it done, I wanted to codify it, to lay it out in a blueprint so a company of any size can just say, wow, this is a lot to get my head around. What do I do? And just follow it in a step-by-step -step way. And that's what Lead With We is all about. So, Simon, with We First as a you know strategic consultancy that's focused on doing all of these great things, I know that you founded it. <clears throat> based on a couple of things, but one like we're talking about is mindset. And we heard mm -hmm. Flu talk about mindset. We heard Kim talk about mindset and all of these great things that you're able to do. What is it? What's the first thing that you need to do to go in when you speak to individuals at an organization, at a company, to help them ultimately build their brand, to help them show the world what they truly can be, but to, to understand that their mindset may not be right or to get them to at least be willing to change the mindset if they're not in the right place? Because that's yeah. the difficult part. Absolutely. I mean, mindset is everything. Without that, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no follow on. There's no follow through after that. The first thing is you've got to choose to lead. 
I mean, we got in this mess together, whether it's social inequities, whether it's the pollution in the, you know, in the ocean and so on. And we've got to recognize that we're going to be responsible. Every one of us, whether you're a CEO or founder, we're not going to get out of this. You know, there's no billionaire who's going to fix this for us. Secondly, you've got to shift from a me first to a we first mentality. What does that mean? The situation we're in right now is a consequence of a lot of people thinking profit for profit's sake at any cost. And it's come at the cost of our environment, our future, our communities, our society. And here's the bottom line. Companies can't survive in societies that fail. They can't. They can't. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how great your product is, how intentional you are about everything. If the world, the environment in which your, your company is operating is breaking down, you're going to be affected by that. So when we go into companies and work with them, whether they're large or small, first thing we do is we ask them to do a pretty sober kind of clear-eyed audit of where they're at. What are they doing well? What are they not doing well? And be honest with themselves. Secondly, you define what their purpose is, which is what, why do they exist in the world? What is the role of that company? For example, Airbnb, to create a world where anyone can belong anywhere. They're not in the accommodation business, they're in the belonging business which is why they can do city guides, music guides, restaurant guides, as well as accommodation. And then thirdly, we work with them to help them co-create that or execute against that purpose with their employees, with their customers. You mentioned Ben and Jerry's. You see them out there, Dave, and they, they're rallying people around issues, you know, and they're, they're mobilizing and becoming movements. So we've been lucky enough to work with a lot of companies, helping them to become movements. And the book lays out how you can build a movement inside and outside of your organization. So it's not just you trying to build your bottom line and have a positive impact. You're doing it with everyone that touches your brand. And if you stand back for a second and look at all the companies that are succeeding out there or everyone's thinking about, they are leading movements. People are talking about them. They're talking about the role they're playing in the world. And that's only going to increase because of all these issues, you know, that are defining our lives now. Yeah, I think it's it's very consistent with with the social media just era and generation that we're in where folks are looking to brand celebrities, athletes, influencers for what to do, what to think. And I think just like you said, it's like stand for something to fall for everything. I think right. decades ago, people didn't care what Coke felt about any given issue, right? They just right. they just drank it because it tastes good. And at some point it had sure. some cocaine in it, whatever, right? It was yeah, yeah, completely right. Different. And I'd love, and this uh, Lead With We is not your first journey. You've got another national bestseller and right in line with the social media uh, topic, We First, your, your previous book. I would love if you could take a minute just to educate folks on, on that book, because just because it's a bestseller doesn't mean we can't continue to buy and read that one as well. No, absolutely. I appreciate that. You know, I was an ad guy in Australia, London, and, and then the US for 20 years. And I worked on Adidas in London and, you know, all famous athletes that are Beckham and folks like that back there. And then I worked on Nike for five years at Widening Kennedy at their ad agency up in Portland and got to work on all the fancy athletes. And it was great. And worked on projects like the Olympics and the World Cup. What did I take away from that experience? That you can shape culture when you're in business. You can actually have an idea or a point of view or mobilize a movement where once you announce it and launch it, millions of people will pay attention and do something differently. And so I came away from that saying, well, when the global economic meltdown happened in 2008 and everyone was saying, what's wrong with business and everyone's losing their homes and their healthcare and their hopes, why can't we take some of the power of that storytelling, the power of business and use those communications 
to mobilize people in ways that can have a positive impact. So my first book, We First, was all about how brands and consumers use social media to build a better world. And this is when Facebook had just started. There was this new thing, Twitter, who knew if it would ever survive or do, do anything. And here we are 10 years later. The difference now is with Lead with We is that you know, social media to some degree has done a lot of great work. At the same time, it's become an advertising dollar platform. And there's been lots of issues around hate speech and other things there. And it's in the press every day now. The difference today is the issues we're trying to solve for that are compromising business, our supply chains, whether employees want to work for us, they've got so much worse. And we need a wholesale reimagining of business right now. If you look at, look at the COP26 discussions going on in the last couple of weeks, they say, you know, code red for humanity. We're digging our own graves. It's catastrophic. Not my language, their language. So if we want to thrive in business, we've got to recognize there's a huge innovation opportunity right in front of us. The companies that speak to these issues, companies that actually play a positive role in the world, will be the ones that get celebrated and, and get more success and the market forces will reward them more. So I don't think anyone should be pessimistic. We should be like fully excited that this is a, a, re, a rebirth of business right now where those entrepreneurs who can look at the marketplace, look at these challenges and say, these are opportunities in disguise. And how can my brand show up in a new way that is going to inspire people to want to co-create and build my business with me? That's why you're seeing the Patagonias or, or, or the Ben and Jerry's all the way through to a solopreneur who's just making a responsible product that people really enjoy. They, that's why the market forces are behind them. So, you know, People, I think, can get their head around it, but they want to know how now. They don't want to know why. They understand they've got to do something differently. How well, Simon, do they get it done? Thank, thank you for helping them understand how to get it done. And no, I want to it. encourage, yeah, absolutely, everyone to go to Simon Mainwaring, M-A-I-N-W-A-R-I-N-G.com to learn more, to get the book. And thank you, Simon. Look forward to speaking to you more. Look forward to reading the book. Thank you very much. It's up on Tuesday and uh, it's on Amazon and you can also go to leadwithwe.com. Thanks, Dave. Fantastic. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you. See you. Thanks, Simon. Wow. Triple header today. Incredible. Um, so take away, Dave. You want to go first or you want me to? Yeah, um, I can go first. I mean, they, they were all profound. I think that the common denominator uh, amongst the three is – to, to lead the change that you want to see. And I took a little bit of all, all, all three of them, obviously, um, from Kim with her work in the DEI space, uh, being a survivor, being a re recoverer, not letting that experience uh, take away her spirit and being, you know, a optimist, being, like Dave would say, a top of the optimist. And obviously, flew, uh, being open, looking at concepts from watching TV with his children and figuring out how he can change those things. And, and obviously, uh, Simon with, with brands, um, you know, trying to help them be purpose-driven and um, actually practice what they preach and being the change that he wants to see in the world, I think is my takeaway. Uh, and my other takeaway is just live life and have gratitude daily. Um, and I'm gracious for you, brother, and I'm gracious for our trip to Portugal and all the folks that we met. And um, just want to say that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And everything that Dave did, just a, an incredible opportunity. And I agree with you. I think for me, it's it's mindset and the power of it. When we look at each of the three guests, everything starts and ends with that, right? We can include 
anyone or anything into our lives, build anything that we want. If we have the right mindset, you look at Kim and just the way she kicked it off and how she feels in her donation of the royalties to her books um, after going through what she went through, just an incredible mindset. And the same thing, like you said, with flu, changing the way people see the world with regard to how we physically see each other, changing the way, reprogramming the way people see and think about money. And, and then again, with Simon, the same thing. And for me, it was, you know, coming back from Portugal, meeting, you know, these are the leaders in, in various industries from around the world who we were with over there at Web Summit. And, and they all had that mindset, right? When you look at uh, the people that we had the opportunity to meet on office hours, which, by the way, office hours, TV tonight, Bloomberg TV, 1130 Eastern, 830 p.m. Uh, Pacific. I left from from that experience, too, with, with the same thought and feeling that, wow, you know, winners have a winning mindset. And that's the distinction for me. And that's the takeaway. Absolutely. So, and shout out to our winner and our boy, Dave. We miss you. Miss uh, you incredibly. We, thank you. Thank you for everything you did this week. You're truly a leader. Uh, and everybody, Clubhouse at nine. Um, Clubhouse at nine. We'll, we'll be we'll jumping you over to there. platform. Yep. And uh, talk to you soon there. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.